Is it just me or has everybody seen half asleep today? Okay. If we're not going to have nap time right now, we've got to stand back up. Here we go, church. Come on. Come on, everybody up. Here we go. Some Sunday morning calisthenics. Reach for the ceiling. Reach to the side. Hug a neighbor while you're at it if you'd like. That's fine. All right. Across the front and back. Across the front and back. Opposite. Left over right. Right over left. Touch the ceiling again. Touch your toes. You can cheat like me if you want. I can touch my toes as long as I bend my knees about this much. Oh, Ryan's already given up. Back up, Ryan. Let's cheer him on. He's got this. I saw Jordan in row three. He was starting to doze off on his dad's shoulder a minute ago, so we've got to get the adrenaline pumping. Are we ready to dive into God's Word? Are we ready to dive into God's Word? Tell the person next to you, I'm ready to dive into God's Word. I hope nobody was lying. Go ahead and grab a seat. So the story goes, how come I heard a snore? <laughs> so the story goes that there was a Welsh woman who lived out in the distant country, uh, uh, in the distant, you know, off the beaten path region of Wales. And so anyway, she decided to spend a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of money convincing the electric company to bring the electric grid to her house because she didn't have any power. And so after a lot of time and a lot of expense, finally the electric company did what she requested, and they, they stretched those electric cables miles away all the way to her house. And so the power is turned on, and after a couple months after the power had been turned on, the electric company notices that she's hardly using any electricity. And so they thought there must be some problem with the hookup, and so they send the, uh, the guy that reads the meters out to her house. The serviceman comes out, and he knocks on her door, and he says this to her. We've just checked your meter, and it doesn't seem that you're using much electricity. Is there a problem? Here's her answer. Oh, no. We're quite satisfied. She goes on to say, we turn on the electric nights, electric lights every evening after dark, just long enough to light our gas lamps. And as soon as the gas lamps are lit, we immediately flip the switch off again. Isn't that an odd thing to do? Why on earth did she spend months and months and probably thousands upon thousands of dollars to get the electricity brought to her house just to turn around and barely use it? And so the fact is, this woman and her family had all of this power at their fingertips, and they only tapped into it a few seconds every day. And that reminds me of a lot of Christians when it comes to prayer. We've got all of this wonderful power, convenient, massive, world-changing power at our fingertips, and so many of us just tap into it for a few seconds every day. See, every Christian believes in prayer. We've heard plenty of stories about answered prayer, but we use prayer's power so sparingly. I think there's probably a few reasons why Christians do that. Some Christians don't pray very much because deep down they believe that God's going to pretty much do what he wants to do with or without me praying. You know, it doesn't make much difference, some Christians believe. 
Others don't pray very much because they say, well, you know, I've got too many other things going. I just, I just don't have enough time to pray like I know I should pray. Others of us don't pray very much because we view prayer as kind of a last resort. It's kind of like that Hail Mary pass when nothing else works and all else fails. But Jesus, as we saw last week, as he taught us the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, teaches us to make prayer a top priority and put quality and quantity into our prayer lives. And so today we're going to continue on in the heels of Jesus' teaching the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 5. I'm calling today's message, Ask, Seek, and Knock. And of course, I didn't come up with those words. Jesus did. And so we'll find that in a passage today that we look at, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. Please turn there in your Bibles. I encourage you to grab one of the blue Bibles. Uh, if uh, you didn't bring one of your own, I'm using one of those blue Bibles myself because the cover fell off of my preaching Bible. So uh, those blue Bibles come in handy, don't they? Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. If you're using one of those Bibles from the rack, uh, you'll find this on page 1029. For the rest of you, Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. Amen? All right, let's read it together here. And since it's a short passage, if you are uh, reading out of the NIV like I am, uh, we can read that out loud together. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine is on a journey, he has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me but with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is my his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, you fathers, if you your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And we thank you for your good word that you have for us today. Speak through this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, remember what happens at the top of this chapter. Jesus is praying as he did so often because prayer was such an important part of his life. He was praying as he often did by himself, just communicating with the Father, just one-on-one. And after he was finished, he went back to his 12 disciples, and one of them asks, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray? So Jesus was very happy to oblige that request. And he taught them what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer Probably a better name for it would be the disciples' prayer or the model prayer because we don't have any record that Jesus actually prayed this prayer for himself. 
It was a prayer he offered as a teaching point for his disciples so they could learn how to pray. And on the heels of teaching them the Lord's Prayer, in verse 5, where we just began reading a few moments ago, Jesus tells his followers a parable in verses 5 through 8, just four little verses. A short little parable here to illustrate the importance of prayer. Now remember that a parallel, a parable is a parallel story. It's what a parable is. It's a parable, parallel story. Some say it's a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Uh, Jesus tells us a story that's very relatable, something we can wrap our minds around, something we can understand, in order to illustrate a spiritual principle that might be a little more challenging for us to understand. And so he tells this very relatable story in verses 5 through 8. He says in this specific parable, a parable that many call the parable of the friend at midnight. Uh, Some refer to it as the parable of the persistent friend. That's the name I'm giving to it today. In this parable of the persistent friend, Jesus says, I want you to imagine a, a friend knocking on your door in the middle of the night. A friend who's a traveler coming and knocking on your door. And as you hear that knock on your door in the middle of the night, your gut tells you it's not a mass murderer, so you go ahead and answer the door. And you answer the door, and lo and behold, right there on your doorstep is this friend you hadn't seen in a long time that lives out of town. And Jesus says, just imagine having that friend knock on your door. He surprises you with a visit in the middle of the night. And there's basically some good news and some bad news. The good news is you've got some clean sheets on your spare bed. That's good news. The good news is you're happy to see your friend. And one more bit of good news, there's plenty of fresh-squeezed lemonade in the fridge. But there's some bad news. Aside from the fresh-squeezed lemon lemonade in the fridge, there's no food. Your fridge is empty. You open up your cupboard, there's no food in there. You forgot to go shopping that day before, and so you have no food, and this guy has been walking through the night, and his feet are sore, and his legs are tired. He's a bit thirsty. You can take care of that need, but he's really, really, really hungry. What are you going to do? Well, In those days, you couldn't just run to the 24-hour Winco. In those days, they didn't have a 24-hour Walmart. They didn't have a 7-Eleven or AMPM open up late. They didn't have those things, and they certainly didn't have a drive-thru at the 24-hour jack-in-the-box. So your buddy is hungry, and you know you only have one option. There's only one option if your friend is going to eat that just knocked on your door, and that is for you to leave your house And go knock on the door of another friend and ask to borrow some food. So Jesus says that's exactly what you do. Now it's important to understand uh, some things about Eastern travel and hospitality in those days to really wrap our minds around this parable in these four verses. Because Jesus doesn't, in this short parable, have enough time to give us much detail. And so knowing kind of how things work back then is helpful. Now, in those days... Travelers, most of the time, as you would guess, traveled by foot. So imagine living here in Victorville. Can anyone imagine living in Victorville? Anyone? Imagine living in the Victor Valley, and it's the dead of summer, and you need to travel to Barstow. Okay? Because I know a lot of you love to go to Barstow. 
So you have to travel to Barstow. You are going to travel by walking because that's the way you got everywhere. And so you need to walk the 35, 40 miles to Barstow. And it's the middle of July. And you know it's 108 degrees during the daytime. What time of day would you most likely walk? At nighttime. So that's what they did in those days. Oftentimes, especially in the hotter months, they would walk at nighttime because it was much cooler and it wasn't as exhausting or as dehydrating as it was walking during the day. So imagine walking to Barstow, so you walk at nighttime. So in those days, it was not unusual for a traveler to knock on your door in the middle of the night because they had been escaping the heat of the day by traveling at night. And so in those days, when a a traveler would knock on your door, It was not unusual, even if it was the middle of the night. And in those days, hospitality was huge. The Jewish people believed it was almost a sin to turn away a traveler. Even if that traveler was a stranger that you just met as as you met him on your doorstep. But especially when a longtime friend were to knock on your door, especially it's imperative that you open the door and be as good of a host as you can to that person. And so this man felt compelled, as Jesus says, put yourself in that man's shoes. He would say, you would feel compelled to do everything you can to make sure your friend gets fed. It's not just common courtesy. It's just simply following God well by showing good hospitality. And so verses 5 and 6, you hightail it over to a friend's house and you start pounding on his front door and you call out, friend, lend me three dinner rolls because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. So if you did that to another friend in the middle of the night when his door was closed and locked and he was already in bed, how would your friend respond to you? If you were yelling at him through his front door in the middle of the night. Well, I don't know how your friend might respond, but Jesus tells us how this guy in the parable responded. Verse 7, the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. That sounds a little bit rude, doesn't it? But let's put ourselves in this man's shoes. How did sleeping arrangements work in those days? Now, let me show you a quick photo of how sleeping arrangements usually work in our day. Go ahead and put up the next photo. Good old Lucy and Ricky are are great examples of how sleeping arrangements tend to work in our day. Just about everyone in the household has their own bed, right? Except usually for the husband and wife. But even in that case, many husbands and wives even sleep in separate beds these days. I'm not a big fan of it, but many do. And so in our culture, just about everybody in the house has their own bed. Okay? But in those days, things didn't work this way. In those days, the normal house in Israel had two bedrooms. And so there was a front room, kind of the family room, kitchen area, and then the back room. The back room would often have that stove or that heat source. And what the family would do is they would roll out mats around that heat source and they would pack in tightly together. And they would pack in tightly, kind of keeping each other warm during the cold months. And during the hotter months, oh well, they just dealt with it. It was kind of like this. That was kind of like the bed situation in those days. 
all the family huddled in close together with Fido at the foot of the bed. And so all the family imagine as you're knocking on your friend's door and saying, hey, I got a visitor from out of town. Can I borrow some dinner rolls? He's thinking, man, I got all these bodies surrounding me. But it got even tougher than that. Because in many of the Jewish households, not only would they bring into that back room at bedtime the human family members, yeah, they would bring in the livestock as well. And so they would bring in the sheep, and many of these households would bring in the goats, and many would bring in the chickens. So imagine this guy hearing the knock at midnight on his front door. By the way, also how things worked in those days, they would keep their door open all day long. It was an open-door policy in Palestinian homes. But at nighttime when the door was closed, that was a message to the neighborhood, I'm in bed, leave me alone. And so the door was closed and locked, and imagine this guy is hearing the knock on his door, and he's hearing you call, hey, I need some dinner rolls. And he's thinking to himself, I'm packed in here with all my family on the floor around me, and if you want me to get up and go to the door, not only am I going to have to stumble over my wife and a couple kids, I've got my animal friends that I'm going to have to step over and maybe trip over to get to the front door. And so this was no small feat for him to get out of bed and come to the door with some food. And so he says, I'm too busy. I'm already in bed. You're disturbing my family. Leave me alone. Come back tomorrow. And so you get turned away. What would you do in response? You can't really blame the guy. He doesn't want to be disturbed in bed. But if you're the friend in this parable, you wouldn't accept no for an answer. You would keep pounding on the door and asking, hey, give me some bread. Knocking some more, hey, give me some bread. You'd keep doing this over and over and over, Jesus says. If you're the guy in this parable, you will not relent until your friend finally in exhaustion comes to the door and says, fine, take the bread, just get off of my doorstep so I can get back to bed. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 8, I tell you, Though he will not get up and give you the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So what is the point of this parable that Jesus tells? Well, certainly, as you might gather, Jesus, on the heels of the Lord's Prayer, is teaching us about the importance of the persistence we must have in prayer. We don't just throw up a quick, hey, Jesus, please help, and leave it at that. He teaches us persistence in prayer. But I want to pick out a couple lessons that we can draw about God from this parable and from the verses that follow. I want to read once again, starting in verse 9, what Jesus says after sharing this little parable. He says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an uh, for an egg will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
we can glean so much from Jesus' teaching here. I want to share with you a couple lessons. Number one, unlike the sleeping friend, our Father is not a reluctant giver. Amen? Our Father in heaven is not a reluctant giver. Some readers of the parable of the friend at midnight might mistakenly assume that since the man who pounds on his friend's door represents you and me as followers of Christ, they might mistakenly assume that the sleeping friend represents God. And Jesus says, no, it's quite the opposite. The sleeping friend does not represent God. On the contrary, Jesus makes it clear that God is nothing like the sleeping, reluctant friend. For starters, the reluctant friend is sleeping and God never sleeps, right? Second, the reluctant friend feels put out. He feels inconvenienced by that friend's request. I don't want to step over my wife's head. I don't want to step over the sheep and the chickens to get to the front door. And even if I wasn't surrounded by all this livestock and all my family members, I still wouldn't want to get out of bed because it's really cozy right here. He's completely inconvenienced by his friend knocking at his door. God is never inconvenienced by his sons and daughters' requests. Isn't that a blessing? He never feels inconvenienced by your prayer. Third, the reluctant friend eventually does the right thing for selfish reasons. He wants to get back to sleep. But God does the right thing because he loves us. God is just awesome, isn't he? He doesn't do the right thing just to get rid of you, get you to shut up. Tired of hearing that prayer. That's not how God works. He answers your prayers as his sons and daughters because he loves you. Finally, the reluctant friend basically said to his friend who was knocking at the door, you're the one who screwed up. You're the one who messed up. It's not my fault you don't have any food in your refrigerator. It's not my fault you don't have any food in your cupboard. It's not my fault your friend showed up in your doorstep and you were unprepared. It's your fault. And when someone comes and asks us for a favor, it's really easy for us to point out that it's not our problem. You should have been better prepared. But you notice God never throws that in our faces, does he? Never. Even if it's your fault that you're in the pickle that you're in, When you come to God in prayer, he is happy to help you out of that problem. God delights in sharing our problems, even when it's our fault. Jesus simply says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Friends, God is not a reluctant giver. Please say that to the person next to you. God is not a reluctant giver. Go ahead. Say it like you mean it. God is not a reluctant giver. One more time. I don't see you looking at the person next to you. You're looking at me. Thank you for sharing it with me. I appreciate that too. But turn to the person next to you and say it. What do you think? Was it believable? I hope you meant it from your heart. God is not a reluctant giver. He is a loving, gracious, generous giver. He delights in hearing and answering our prayers. He delights in meeting our needs when we bring our needs to Him. When it comes down to it, God is a much better giver to us than we are to Him. Wouldn't you agree with that? He's a much better giver to us than we are to Him. I'd like you to look again at verses 9 and 10. Look at those verses again. 
So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I want you to ask yourself, do these verses work both ways in my relationship with God? Do these verses work both ways in my relationship with God? Jesus looks at it from one angle. As a son or daughter of God, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, he says you can go to God your Father and ask, and it will be given to you. You go to your Father in heaven and seek, and you will find. You go to your Father in heaven and you knock, and the door will be opened to you. Does this work in reverse? When God comes to you and asks something of you, are you just as quick to say, yes, God, it will be given to you? It says in Jeremiah 29:12 that if we seek God, you will find God when you seek him with all your hearts. But it also says in Scripture that God seeks throughout the world for someone who will stand in the gap and do what he has called them to do, to stand between heaven and earth and bring God's message to earth and bring the needs of men to him. When God seeks someone who will serve Him and follow Him with all His heart, are you just as quick to respond to that seeking as God is to respond to your seeking? And when Jesus, just like He did at the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, is knocking on the door of your heart, are you just as quick to let Him in as He is to let you in? I'd never really, in the many years that I've read this passage and memorized this passage and studied this passage, I'd never thought of it in reverse order before until this week. And I tell you, it was a little bit sobering. I do not think that this works in reverse order as quickly and as effectively as we would like to think. God comes our way asking and seeking and knocking, and so often, just like the sleeping friend, we turn him away. God, thankfully, is not like us. If we go to our Father and ask, we will receive. If we go to our Father and seek, we will find. And if we go to our Father and knock, the door will be opened. God is not a reluctant giver. Lesson number two. Unlike the sleeping friend, Our Father is not a good enough giver. He gives us His very best. He gives us His very best. In the parable, the sleeping friend eventually got out of bed and gave his buddy just enough bread to shut him up and get him off his doorstep. But God goes the extra mile to give us His very best, doesn't He? If you doubt that, just look at what He says in verse 13, especially the second half of verse 13. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You see, God's very best is Himself. God's very best is Himself. If you're like most Christians, you've asked God probably thousands of times before a meal, God bless this food to my body. Or for your family, God bless this food to our family's bodies. 
If you're a Christian who's followed Christ for a long time, many times you've prayed for health, you've prayed for successful surgeries, you've prayed for healed marriages, you've prayed for your parents or kids to accept Christ, you've prayed for travel mercies as you're heading out on the open road or boarding an airplane. But I want to ask you, how often do you pray for God's very best? How often do you pray for the Holy Spirit? How often do you pray for more of God in your life? How often do you pray for more of God in your kids' or your parents' lives? Do you ever pray for God to give your family more of His Holy Spirit? I think this is an appropriate time for me to share with you that I am so, so thankful for those of you who pray for me and my family on a regular basis. Thank you. Being a pastor sometimes gets really hard. Sometimes it feels lonely. Sometimes it gets isolating. And it's so awesome to know that some of you are praying for me and my family on a regular basis. Thank you for praying for my health, especially the health of my little girl, Kara. And through this difficult last four years with her health issues, so many of you have been praying for her, and I appreciate that so much. Christine and I both, we appreciate that so much. Thank you for praying for wisdom as I try my best to lead Thank you for praying that God would protect me when I travel. Just a couple weeks ago, traveling with our teenage mission team. Thank you for praying for our safety. Thank you for praying for us in so many ways. But may I be bold enough to ask that you pray for me and my family the greatest prayer that you could ever pray for us and that you would pray that God would bless us with more of Himself. Do you pray that God would give me more of His Holy Spirit before I come up and preach on a Sunday morning? Do you pray that I would be filled with God as I prepare a message or as I counsel with a couple whose marriage is on the rocks or as I talk to various leaders in the city and and try to traverse some of these challenges we may face at any particular time as a church? Do you pray that God would fill my wife with the Holy Spirit Do you pray that God would fill my girls with the Holy Spirit? Thank you for praying for us. Please continue to do so. But would you pray the greatest prayer for us you could ever pray? God, I pray that there would be more of you in our pastor's family. Do you pray that for our elders? God, I pray that you would fill our elders with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says so wonderfully here in verse 13, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There we are knocking on our friend's door in the middle of the night, and sure, He'll eventually give us some bread just to get rid of us. Jesus says, that's what a reluctant friend will give you. How much more will God give you the very best that there is to give? Because He loves you. Because He is your Father in heaven. Because He delights to give to those who ask of Him. Oh, you better believe He will give you His very, very best. Oh, God is such a good and generous giver. And He never settles for good enough. He gives us His very best. Can you imagine the impact that this church could have on this world if we regularly ask God to give us His very best? if we consistently ask God to give us more of Himself, to give us more of His presence, to give us more of His strength, 
to give us more of his peace, to give us more of his wisdom, to give us more of his grace, to give us more of his Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? God, there's too much of me and not enough of you. We need more of you, O oh God. Ask, church, and it will be given to you. Seek, church, and you will find. Knock, church, and the door will be opened for you. Don't just go to God for the midnight emergencies like this friend in need. Don't just go to Him for the midnight emergencies. Go to your Father in Heaven every day, throughout the day, with your needs and your requests. You see, God will hear you and God will answer you. As we follow Christ, there is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Isn't that an awesome blessing to know? There's an old song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Nice song, but it's off target. If you are a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you. That when we come to you in the midnight emergencies, even when we failed to come to you as consistently as other times as you want us to, even when we come in the midnight emergencies, you're there to listen and help us in our time of need. But Lord, I pray that we wouldn't squander that wonderful gift. That we wouldn't squander that wonderful gift that you've given us to come to you night or day at any time, with our needs, big and small. Lord Jesus, we pray, O oh God, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would pray as you've taught us to pray, and that we would tap into that power source and not just flip the switch for a few seconds every day. Lord Jesus, help us as we try to grow in our prayer lives and lean on our Father in heaven and tap into those spiritual blessings that so often go untapped. In Jesus' name, amen.